0: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we come before you on a Thursday night. Lord, just ask that you would help us to apply ourselves to the study of these things. And Lord, application from your word. And you would encourage us and help us, Lord, to live for you in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. and. Tonight is uh, the night we are going to try to handle a lot of the statistics and things as we are going through our series on uh, what the Bible says about uh, wine and application to other intoxicating substances and uh, tonight we're going to look at what Society says, uh, not so much what they say, but, uh, now that's supposed to be turning on, let's see here, ah, there we go, press the right button and everything happens, right? And uh, let's see here, can we have the screen, Brother Zach, okay. Okay. All right. Now, there we go. Very good. That's good. Okay. Now, no one is denying the existence of alcohol. We've been through the Bible, it has been around since Genesis chapter 9. Uh, after the flood, and we could uh, take time to just theorize or try to uh, put some uh, biblical and scientific guesswork as to why this happened then because of changes uh, in the earth because of the flood and all of those things, but that's really not what our study is about. The thing is, the interesting thing is, what we know about history and alcohol mostly comes from the drunken debauches as recorded in people in, in, in history. We know about the problems. Uh, actually, there have been several books written, uh, the drunk history of whatever, New York City or different places like that, just talking about all of the things. Uh, that happened. You know, I do not know of any book that was ever written on the history of the benefits of intoxicating substance. Uh, Years ago, uh, this isn't in your notes, but Moody Science uh, did uh, several, this was back in the 50s, they made a whole series of movies actually uh, for classroom use and instruction and uh, one of those was about the ancient societies and what happened to them. And uh, you talk about the Inca people, uh, the, the Aztec Empire, these uh, incredible people that lived in, uh, let's see now, I think it was the, wasn't it the Incas that built Machu Picchu? And, and uh, what the native people, population that lives there today are basically drunkards and drug they have their own little home, home brew i remember them showing how they made that and and yet at one time their ancestors built things that defy our greatest engineering capabilities of today we we would have Almost, it would be nearly impossible, even with all of our technology, to move the stones that they did because the stones of Machu Picchu are like 7,000 feet or 10,000 feet up on top of the Ande Mountains and that's not where they're from. They dug them somewhere else and moved all of that building material up there and to look at them today... It, 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 and they've talked about the degeneration of societies. And really, that is the history. And alcohol and drugs and and uh, every society has had its inebriating substances, whatever uh, that may be. And it's always led to the destruction. Now, this chart right here is actually from uh, the... Uh, Uh, Beverage Information Group in the Park Street analysis, if you can see the fine print in the corner there. These are the people responsible for selling alcohol. And the year 2014 is where this came from. $354 billion were spent in America on beverages. Now, that includes everything from bottled water to coffee to all the alcohol beverages. Sixty percent of the revenue comes from alcoholic beverages. Sixty percent. $211 billion. Now, I want you to remember that figure a little bit. If you can, just put it in, in your mind because... In, in, in a little bit in our study, we're going to find out how much alcohol cost society. And, and so it generates $211.6 billion in sales, and all of the statistics, uh, let's go to our next little slide here, show that alcohol usage is on the increase. This is the first stack there at uh, $78 billion is 2005. Now in 2014, it's 108. And uh, that is uh, alcohol revenues by category. And then retail sales um, are in millions of dollars. And this is uh, the number one reason why alcohol is for sale in the United States is tax revenue. Uh, They tell us all of the jobs that it's providing and all of the people it's employing and all the money it's producing and how dependent our government, federal and state governments are on alcohol revenues. Now, our next slide here, I want you to kind of follow this with me. It's going to be a little bit here. Uh, the dates are kind of hard to see, but over here is the year 1860. This is at the beginning of the Civil War. And the uh, last date up here is, let me get my pointer back, where'd it go? There we go. It is 2013. So this gives us a chart of alcohol consumption per capita in the United States from 1860 to 2013. Now, the green at the top here, this is total beverages. This is everything combined. The uh, the kind of brown one here is beer. This is distilled spirits or hard liquor. And the purple one at the bottom is wine usage. Now... If you look here, we have this great big huge valley here uh, from 1920 to 1935. That was Prohibition. And that was where it was illegal to sell alcohol in, in the United States for uh, uh, human consumption. And everybody talks about how terrible a time it was and how violent it was and all of this. When, uh, and I'd like to bring this out. One of the greatest acts of violence during the entire Prohibition period was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Do you know how many people were killed at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Four. Now, I know you've watched the TV shows, The Untouchables, and uh, 20 people die every 30 seconds. That was not happening in real life. Real life was that things were actually going pretty well on a moral basis. And we'll be talking about prohibition in its own lesson and actually, the, uh, I, I want to spend some time on the solution because, you know, people talk about how that, you know, we cannot, we cannot stop evil. We have to pass laws. Now, we have many different debates going on today. One of them is gun debates. And uh, they, they say, we've got to pass laws against guns. And uh, uh, my cousin sent me a, one of those emails. Uh, somebody made it up and he said, I took my gun and set it out on the porch. And he said, I counted the people that passed my house. There was nearly a hundred people walked past my house that day and that gun didn't shoot one of them. And uh, the, the simple truth of the matter is the issue is the heart of people. Now, can government change people's hearts? No. Can laws change people's hearts? No. Can God change people's hearts? Yes. He's the only one that can. And I, I want to spend some time explaining why prohibition has failed and and uh, I referred to a friend of mine. He wants to proposed a constitutional amendment that parents ought to take care of their children. And uh, I said, you know, I, I'm for parents taking care of children. I'm, I I couldn't be more for that. But a constitutional amendment, again, it didn't solve the liquor problem, and it won't solve the parent problem. It won't it won't solve the gun problem. God has to work in people's hearts to solve a sin problem. Amen? And so, but I want us to just look at this because you see this dark blue line right here. Now, this is telling us that in 1865, during the Civil War, hard liquor use topped at over two gallons per person living in the United States that there were over two gallons of hard liquor consumed in the United States for every man, woman, and child living at that time. Now, if we go to today, 2013, we're less than three quarters of one gallon per man, woman, and child living in the United States. I want to tell you something. Prohibition did do some good. It did have an influence. It did damage the consumption of alcohol in the United States by average citizens. And and that's not a bad thing. Uh, The only alcoholic spirit that has alcoholic beverage that has exceeded pre- prohibition levels is wine. The bottom one. And it still doesn't even account for a half of one gallon per person. Uh, yeah, that's still a lot. We have 300 and some odd million people living in the United States. But these these levels have, uh, for the most part, gone down, yet they tell us, on an average, alcohol consumption is is going up. Now... I don't know if you can read this. Most of the statistics are in your notes. But here's what alcohol costs. In the United States, approximately 88,000 people die every year an alcohol related death. Now, the thing that is amazing there in 2014, they say 9,967 deaths, nearly 10,000 of those 88,000 were in car accidents or uh, uh, alcohol-related car deaths. Now, this bottom paragraph here says, the CDC report calculated that fatalities due to drunk drivers and more than 50 other alcohol-related causes of death are responsible for wiping out about 2.5 million years of potential life Each year. Now, do you get that? If someone's 20 years old and is killed in a car accident because they went drinking with their buddies for the first time, that was 50 years of life that was wiped out. The average is 2.5 million years of life per year. You know, and we have people complaining that there aren't enough people to work the jobs or people with skills. You want me to tell you where they are? They're in the graveyard. Uh, They're also been murdered in the abortion mills of this country. If we talk about the toll of life Alcohol-related deaths is the third leading cause of death in the United States. And actually, uh, the statistic is worldwide. It is the first leading cause of death in the age group of 25 to 46. In the prime of life, it is the leading cause of death. Alcohol-related death. And yet, we are told that it is a good thing. Now, here we've we've talked about its cost in lives, 88,000 a year. Potential life, 2.5 million years of life per year. Now, just stop and add that up. Now, our next slide here this is as of 2010. Excessive drinking cost the United States economy $249 billion. Now, how much revenue did alcohol sales produce in 2014? Does anybody remember from our first slide? I do because I wrote all this stuff out. But $211 billion. So we're talking about a $38 billion deficit. If you want to break it down, the study here, this is uh, either from, I think this is from CDC, Center for Disease Control. $807 per person living in the United States is what alcohol-related problems cost our economy. You know what, and our... Congress people are complaining about they don't have enough money and we got all of these deficits and we got all these problems. Well, I'll tell you where you could find a quarter of a trillion dollars is in alcohol-related death. Isn't that amazing to you? Why do we have such a thing in our society today? Well, we're told tax revenue. We can't get the FDR sold that to the American people when he repealed it. If they would have to put a surcharge of $2.05 on every alcoholic drink that was sold, so on a six pack, that would be $12.60 surcharge, which is more than the six-pack costs, in order to pay the cost. Now, here's how they break that down. 72% is in lost workplace productivity. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have witnessed someone at your job not do their job properly because they had been imbibing uh, over the weekend or whatever? I mean, just raise your hand. How many of you have seen that happen where you work? If you work by yourself, that's a good thing you don't. But most of us have had to put up with that one way or another. It's, it's endemic in our society. Well, where does that come out? Well, companies are in business for what purpose? Well, if you talk to Charles Schumer, our senator, he said companies are in business to pay taxes. You would flunk any economics course ever given in the history of mankind. Companies are in business to make a profit, right? And so, if they are losing productivity, that means their cost per unit goes up. And so, whatever you do, whatever you buy, it's now more expensive this is where these costs come in. It drives the cost of everything up. 11% health care expenses. You wonder why insurance is so high? It's because 11% of that $249 billion has to be paid for somehow and the hospitals cannot go... Uh, they, Unlike the government, they can't print money to pay their bills. they got to pay it with real cash. So... Health care costs go up. Who, play, who pays for our police and our prisons and our judges and our juries and all of those things? We do, don't we? Taxpayers. Well, 10% is criminal justice costs. And why is it so expensive to insure a vehicle in New York City? Well, a great portion of it is right here. We live in a high-risk area. Uh, You are not going to drive in New York City for 20 years and not be involved in some type of accident of some kind or another, whether somebody scrapes you or you scrape them. There's just too many people, too many cars. You're going to get it, and it goes up. So... Now, here's an interesting statistic, and we're going to come back to this. 77% of all of that, $191 billion, is due to binge drinking. Now, how many of you know what binge drinking is? Ladies, according to the definition, if you have four drinks in one evening, you are a binge drinker. Men, I think it's five or seven, depending on whose charts you look at. Right there, it says at the bottom. Now, where is it? Okay, if you'll come down to D, there's a CBS News article dated November 21st, 2014. Most, this is the title of the article, most binge drinkers are not actually alcoholics. Most binge drinkers would fall under the category of moderate drinking, with the exception, of course, of the binges. Because if you have less than 14 in a week, well... You could go binging twice a week and still be a moderate drinker according to the statistics. That's why statistics never lie, but liars always use statistics. Uh, We follow this thing. Forty percent is paid by federal and state and local governments. Forty percent of that comes out. And here's just a few of the figures here. California spends $35 billion every year, at least according to these statistics in 2010, on alcohol-related problems. Uh, The median cost is $3.5 billion per state. I think New York um, didn't get that statistic. It wasn't on this uh, brochure here. But is over sixteen billion dollars we come in right about the the high end of the middle high end of that thing, and uh then these this is where you can go to to get some of those details from, and I think yes, that is it for that. So we'll shut this down for a few minutes and uh so. We have all of these things. Alcohol use promotes everything the Bible is against. You watch a movie and somebody's about to do something really bad. What do they have in one hand? They got a cigarette hanging out their mouth and a glass of booze of some kind in one hand. And uh, when they open their mouth, they're using profanity and and that is supposed to be our heroes, right? I, I will tell you that no one who does anything well is spending a lot of time with alcohol. They don't have time. Bill Gates... Warren Buffett, all of these guys to do what they... They're not functioning alcoholics. They couldn't be or they couldn't do what they're doing. And as we try to understand something here, even New York City ran a campaign a couple of years ago under uh, one of the last ones before Mayor Bloomberg left was... Uh, you saw the pictures of some guy who had gotten into a fight in the subway system and it said if he just hadn't, if he had stopped at two drinks, he wouldn't have gotten into the fight. Well, alcohol promotes all of these things. How much alcohol do you have to drink in order to be affected? I, I read an article there on uh, MedWeb, I think it was, that said, the first sip goes straight to your brain. Alcohol affects your judgment first. It affects your coordination. It is a gateway. If if we wanted to connect sin to alcohol, how many sins could we connect to alcohol usage? Uh, Just about all of them. I mean, they're there. It's a part of that lifestyle because... Alcohol doesn't give you courage, like John Wayne said. It takes away your inhibitions. So, if you're one of those guys that's a raging volcano inside, and and you're good at covering up your anger, don't drink, because it'll come out. If you... uh, And and we'll, we'll just keep going on here. The same pamphlet that I got the uh, 2.5 million years of life per year swapped out, if we go to uh, point D, it boasts that modern, moderate alcohol usage would save 25,000 lives per year. But it still kills 88,000. You see... This is the kind of confusion that the world wants because we have one predetermined factor. Alcohol is not bad. Uh, that is the number one rule of society at large. And so everything has to be changed. Uh, you know, we what we simply call this is we call this dishonesty. Most of the people who they classify as binge drinkers would actually come under the realm of moderate drinking. Could. Most of them would. You see, we've also believed that the major alcohol consumption is the old drunkies uh, down on Skid Row and that's the problem. If we could get rid of them, alcohol, no, it's not. It's the... Young people walking up and down the streets of Astoria and Greenpoint on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, going out and getting schnockered and having a quote-unquote good time. That's where the alcohol is being used. And that's where the costs are being run up. Because you can't take this stuff in your system and it not hurt you. I could get you all kinds of slides and, and pictures, but the, the point that we just wanna, the point I just want to make, and you can be turning in your Bibles to uh, James chapter two here, when are we going to stop the foolishness? When are we going to stop playing word games? The same arguments are used for marijuana. They're used for gambling. They're used for immoral behavior. They're used for anything that is out there. All of these same arguments. How many times have you heard someone say, I'm not hurting anybody. Right? I'm only hurting myself. Well, no, that doesn't hold up. Let's let's look at James chapter 2 if we could. And... Um, I hope you don't mind the statistics and stuff. I just feel like we need to get a little bit here to kind of shock us into understanding what what we are up against. But look at verse 8 of chapter 2. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself ye do well. Now how many of you are familiar with the golden rule is what it is called do unto others as you would have them do unto thee you this is one this is the last place that it's listed in the scripture here it's called the royal law and, and it says that uh, that what we should do is we should love thy neighbor as thyself now could I challenge you that loving my neighbor or doing unto my neighbor as I would have them do unto me? Do I want my neighbor picking me up out of the street where I fell down and did all kinds of horrible things that drunk people do all over the sidewalk every Friday night up and down Astoria? Do do I want other people to have to pick me up out of that. Well, then why would you go out and put yourself in that same situation? Do you see what I'm saying here? You say, I'm not hurting anyone. But whose kid is following you around and because you drink, because you do these things, they're going to do these things. If you're going to commit immorality, you normally need someone to commit it with. Who are you going to take advantage of to commit your sin? This is what Jesus was talking about when he gave this uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what James is talking about here when he's referring uh, to the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Let's just read on here. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty." For he shall have judgment without mercy that showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked or de- and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart ye in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And he goes on and says, if you're going to have real faith in God, how do we show that faith? By the works, by the life that we live. If we're going to be responsible citizens of this country in which we live, I just simply, with all of these statistics that we've thrown out, how in the world can you justify involvement in alcoholic beverage? How can you do that? You see, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, and we've been over this several times, and I'm not going to spend a long time tonight on it, There were three inalienable rights that the founders of this country believed came directly from God. How many of you know what those are? Life, same with me if you know them. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thomas Jefferson is credited with coining that phrase, the pursuit of happiness. And, And of course, every drunkard, every sinner, every pervert uh, in all of history in America has embraced that phrase. Well, this is what makes me happy. That's not what he was talking about, my friend. Thomas Jefferson was no fan of this book called the Bible. In fact, his Bible, they found after he had died, had verses cut out of it and different parts torn out of it that he didn't believe should be in the Bible. That's how Thomas Jefferson treated his Bible. And yet, I want to challenge you, Thomas Jefferson was a wise enough man and an honest enough man to understand that what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, the Golden Rule, what James is talking about here, love thy neighbor as thyself, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is exactly what Thomas Jefferson was trying to say in the pursuit of happiness. You see, what he was saying is, we have a responsibility to live free in society in a way that benefits society as a whole. That's simply what that means. And, and we have so much dishonesty when it comes to issues here concerning the use of alcoholic beverage. Uh, do you think we ought to make a... Someone said, well, do you think we ought to bring prohibition back and outlaw alcohol? It didn't work in the 30s. It's not going to work now. But I'll tell you what will work is when God's people stand against the foolishness of sin. That's the job of the church is not to change society but to make sure that society doesn't change us. There are churches all over this city that have what they call the Lord's Supper and they use alcohol to celebrate the Lord's Supper, alcoholic wine. How do you do that? That is so foreign to the Scriptures. How do you use something made by man, manufactured, specially processed, as alcohol, wine must be, to represent the pure, precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? the reasoning is so perverse it doesn't even deserve an answer, my friend. And yet, that is where people go. You see, if I'm going to live for God, my faith and my life have to match up with this book called The Bible. And this tells me that I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. And it doesn't qualify who my neighbor is. In fact, if you want to, go to the story of the Good Samaritan. Amen? Your neighbor is the one that God has placed in your way that you can help. That's who your neighbor is. And the greatest help that I can give any living human being is to share with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and challenge people we have no business condoning or engaging in behavior that destroys other people's lives amen I think I got enough statistics there that prove that alcoholic beverage destroys people's lives. 88,000 per year, 10,000 in car wrecks, two and a half million years of potential life that are snuffed out every year. Directly, indirectly related to the use of alcohol. When we talk about indirect, when you are not drunk and you're killed by a drunk driver, that's an indirect cause because you didn't touch the alcohol. That's the reasoning in the report. And the, the point is, if we're going to have a faith that actually works, let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 21, it says, Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. The next verse applies just as well. Abstain from all appearance of evil. You know, we as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ need to stop allowing the world to set the rules. When God already has. God has established the boundaries. Amen? And and our faith can be real without being hypocritical, without being like the Pharisees of the Bible, without sitting in our high towers and looking down on all those people who aren't as good as we are. That's not the purpose of these things. You see, the purpose of God's law is to let us Love our neighbors as ourselves. And when I am forcing my neighbors to pay for behavior that I choose to engage in, I'm not loving them, I'm using them. And if we as a society would simply understand that, laws do not alter behavior. Read your Bible. Laws are for the punishment of those who break them. That's the purpose of laws. There is not one law that has ever stopped anybody from committing one crime. People say, well, there's, there's the issue of deterrence, yeah, yeah. But I, I promise you, if the only reason you haven't killed someone is because you're afraid of getting caught eventually you're going to end up killing someone. That ought not even enter your mind as a Christian. Amen? It's just not part of our thought process of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason I bring that up is I was reading in a book and this guy was using that as an example I haven't killed anyone, uh, and that proves that, and and I haven't done it because of the law. I, I did it because I'm such a good person. Oh, wait a minute. It's just ridiculous. There's enough silliness and foolishness to go both sides of the argument. You see, the reason we don't do those things is because Jesus gave us a command as his servants, to love people in this world in which we live. If we will do that, so many of these things just become non-topical, don't they? They become nonsense. And what we want to do is we want to keep that law. Now, I'll tell you, none of us do the way we ought to. Amen? And what we do is we confess our sins and we try to move forward. That's what church is about. Amen? And when people come and uh, I, I've actually had uh, over the years run into Christians not from this church but from other churches and, and they look at me kind of quizzically well there's no real verse in the Bible that says you shouldn't drink alcohol. Uh, I said... Boy, oh boy, I don't know what kind of church you were in, but somebody wasn't teaching this book. It is concrete. It is without variation. It is without defense. If we're going to live for Him, the Bible says that we're to prove all things and we're to hold fast that which is good. Amen? We're to avoid the appearance Of evil. And that means we've got to live some very strict lives. But if you've been here on Sunday morning, where is the greatest freedom that you can find as a believer in Jesus Christ? It's walking in a narrow way, isn't it? That is where you're going to have the greatest ability to bring praise and glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we could only grasp that, what it's going to be like on the other side, when we stand around the throne, and our only duty for all eternity is going to be to bring praise and honor and glory to Christ. I'm not going to preach that you're going to think about your sins because Jesus forgave those. But I'll tell you what, your ability to bring praise and glorify God is going to be directly related to your service for Him in this life. If you want to be able to express your worship to God and your praise to Him in the fullest and most incredible way, then you're going to have to start living like the Bible says. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You, and Lord, just ask that You would encourage us in Your Word and in holy living. And Lord, that You would give us enough wisdom to see all of the foolishness and death and sin that is attached to these things and not to swallow the lies of the world. Help us to live for You. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano play. If you need to slip out, the altar's open.